This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, everyone. Does this thing work? Oh, it does. Hey, what do you know? Listen, we want to welcome you. We, uh, we want to thank you for coming and choosing this workshop this morning. We have Pastor Ron Woolsey is going to give us our first presentation this morning. Uh, we also have Danielle speaking after him at 10 o'clock. She's going to give her testimony about coming out of uh, homosexuality, bisexuality, uh, Wiccanism, witchcraft, and I hope that you'll uh, stay for that as well. One of the things that we want to offer to you, not only are we going to have these testimonies that talk about coming out of sexual bondage, but also we want to give you an opportunity that if you have friends that you want to pray for, if you have a certain need in your own life that you want to talk to someone about, that you may not want to talk in an open forum. And so, uh, yeah, if you would put those in that table in the back. Thank you. We, we have a sign-up sheet, and if you'd like 15 minutes with each one of the speakers and our testimonies, we want to give you an opportunity to talk to us, to pray with us. Maybe we can give you something that has helped us in our journey as well. And so we encourage you to sign up for a 15-minute time slot. We'll be available tomorrow afternoon as well. Um, we really want to address the issues that, that, that we all struggle with and, and, uh, and are concerned about. And so that's why we presented our uh, workshop this morning about holy sexuality and the importance of it. You look very determined, Wayne. Oh, all right, okay. Did y'all eat breakfast this morning? Has anyone got a banana or a bagel on them? Oh, good. I'm kidding. All right, before we begin, before we ask Ron to come forward, let us all bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you, Lord, and to start talking about the things that, that we relate to. I remember, Lord, being 20 years old, and I couldn't resolve the thoughts that were going on inside my head, Lord, and my Christianity. I loved you, Jesus. I wanted to serve you with my whole heart, and yet I couldn't get the two to connect, and I left because I thought you didn't care. But Lord, I know you care because you called me home. You brought me back. And Lord, for my friends and my colleagues that I work with, Lord, on a regular basis, we all have come home, and we want to help those that may need to come home as well. And so, Lord, give us power and strength only that comes from you. Fill this room, Lord, with angels. Every open seat, Lord, I pray that you'll fill with your heavenly angels and that, Lord, that you'll protect us, guide us, Keep us, Lord, from being um, offended, and I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us in a loving and kind way, because I would never serve a God that wasn't loving. Amen. And I pray, Lord, that you'll bless, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ron Woolsey, and I uh, am a pastor in the Arkansas-Louisiana Conference. I've been there for, uh, living there for 23 years in ministry. Um, of course, it goes without saying I was not always a pastor. <laughs> I was not always a Christian. I was born and raised one in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and um, uh, struggled with issues all of my life, uh, which I later con um, realized were due to being derailed at a very young age when I was sexually molested at the age of four and I was um, 
persistently uh, molested when I uh, was going through grade school. Let's see if I can get... Get this set up right. And I want to apologize right up front for the low resolution on a lot of these pictures there, just to give you the idea. But anyway, I, uh, <clears throat> I left the church in my young life. I was married, I had two children, but I was so confused about who and what I was because of being derailed at such a young age and, and the various problems that happened throughout my life, I finally just gave up. You know, when, when all of us were growing up, uh, those of us who were growing up in the church, with this kind of a struggle, there were no resources that we knew of. There was no one to talk to. No one was talking about the issue. And all of us, from what I have gathered, <clears throat> all of us struggled in isolation. We were all alone. Uh, I prayed for many years, but um, the Lord did not seem to answer my prayers the way I wanted him to. I was praying wrong. I prayed that the Lord would take away temptation. That's not biblical. I had a degree in theology and didn't understand that. What God promises is that his grace is sufficient. Jesus suffered being tempted. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And he resisted under blood, striving against sin, according to Hebrews um, chapter 4, chapter 2, and chapter 12. Uh, it was many years that I lived in the gay life after devastating my family and uh, breaking that up. But I never was at rest with that. The Lord never gave me peace about living the gay life. And eventually, I just went to the Word of God. I went to the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy and went to my knees. And I have to tell you, I found every answer I needed strictly in the Word of God. I did not go to counseling. I did not go to therapy. I did not go to psychiatrists and psychologists who early on had already said that kind can never change. Um, but see, that's human reasoning. It's not God's reasoning. That's denying the power of God, the miraculous power of God. So that's just a synopsis of where I come from, coming out of the gay life 23 years ago. Uh, 22 years ago, I married. And um, so last night was our anniversary, uh, 22 years. And uh, I was here and my wife was at home, but our children are home. We have two uh, younger children. We have five children altogether and five grandchildren. We have... Um, Two younger children, uh, Zachary is a freshman at college at Southern Adventist University, and Natalie is a senior in Oklahoma Academy. Well, they're home, and, and um, they could not be with me on this trip. We, we're going in so many different directions with the family dynamics. We have a 92-year-old mother and an 87-year-old mother, and we have horses and dogs and cats, and somebody has to stay home all the time. But anyway, I am so blessed in my new life of uh, being married and with children and being in ministry, the Lord has certainly given me much more than I ever, ever deserved and more than I ever expected in my life. I told my story last year at GYC, and I'm not supposed to do that this time. I was given, I think, the most difficult subject of all, and it's totally out of my comfort zone, um, 
but bear with me today because we're going to look at sexuality today, the, cre the creator's perspective. There are so many deviations today. What is the creator's perspective? It's not a... Okay. Sorry, let's go back to... I want to, to take a moment and talk about God's original plan. When God created man in the first place, in Genesis 2, verse 24, he said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. God's original plan was simple. It was clean. It was beautiful. And uh, in Genesis 1, 27 to 31, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. God was so pleased with what he created. Man and woman, heterosexuals, um, he created. You know, he didn't have to create us with the ability to have such pleasure in sexuality, but he did, and he was pleased with this, and uh, the uh, outcome of this intimate relationship, of course, was uh, procreation and replenishing the earth. You know, God is, as creator, he could have created thousands, millions of people on this earth, but he created two, and he gave mankind the ability to join him in the creation process. I mean, it's such an honor when you think about it to be able to procreate children for him. Um, if we, as we read on in Genesis 4, verse 1, it says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. The reason I'm pointing this out is because uh, this biblical knowing of the spouse results in the bearing of children. It, the term is actually referring to sexual intimacy. Adam knew his wife again. She bare a son called his name Seth. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bare Enoch, but that's not the Enoch that, that went to heaven. It was another Enoch. Uh, we read... Uh, on in the Old Testament many times about how the father knew, the husband knew the wife and they bore children. The reason I'm pointing that out is because God's plan became perverted through fallen humanity. And we read in Luke chapter 17 that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. And we know that the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually in those days. Reading a few verses down in verse 29, but um, uh, verse 28, likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. Um, and, and even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So in other words, from the from the original creation, 
the evils that were associated with the local city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the time of Noah are going to be globally present just before the coming of Jesus. So we want to just kind of establish that perspective where we are today. No, we know that one of the major evils was that of homosexuality. And we know about the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, the Bible spells them out as pride, idleness, haughtiness, fornication, going after strange flesh. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, in Judges chapter 19, we read about... The same thing happening within Israel that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. The, uh, the Benjamites were like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they demanded of this man to bring... Um, well, they demanded that this man who was traveling with his concubine be brought forth. That um, it says that we may know him. Yeah, thank you. And I know my colleagues get tickled when I say this, but uh, they weren't wanting to greet him and say, how are you, when they wanted to get to know him. It said that we may know him, and we know that from the context because Jude 19, uh, verse 25, uh, the man took his concubine, brought her forth unto them, and they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And so we see this, uh, this perversion of marriage uh, going on very early on in the Bible. And, of course, many people want to, don't really know exactly what a concubine is, and that's not really the, the focus of our message today. But a concubine is a female who voluntary, voluntarily enslaves herself or sells herself to a man primarily for his sexual uh, pleasure and in those days there were many women that if they were not married or linked with a man in some way they had no way to support themselves or or survive and the bible does not condone such behavior but it would seem to be common in the old testament god's um here we see an illustration of solomon with his wives and concubines but uh, God's original intent was for marriage to be between one man and one woman, and that has never changed. And I think we can all agree with that. Where concubines were, uh, where concubinage was practiced in those days, it was never a peaceful, happy environment. Uh, I think many men would agree that having one wife is plenty. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are all kinds of challenges in marriage. You want to multiply those challenges exponentially, bring in another partner. Uh, God knew what he was doing when he designed marriage the way he did. Uh, the issues that we're talking about today are all of the the deviant ways that Satan has brought about a perversion of what God created. And we want to look at what the Bible says about premarital sex for, uh, for one subject. Now, we've, 
created handouts. I'm not sure, are the handouts to be handed out or is it just all online? Um, I have a lot of material here that I'm just going to touch on, but it's much more in-depth in the handouts. In, uh, in the Bible, of course, uh, sexual purity is very much promoted. All of the Bible verses that um, condemn sexual immorality as being sinful also condemn sex before marriage as sinful. There's so many scriptures. Um, in, we can just take a look at a few. For example, Acts 15, verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood and so forth. Uh, many texts of scripture that talk about abstaining from fornication. Um, the, the Bible promotes complete abstinence before marriage. Sex between a husband and his wife is the only form of sexual relations which God approves. We look at Hebrews chapter 13 and we get an idea there. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. It's very clear. I don't think that uh, we question that premarital sex is not approved of in the Bible. And uh, the, the next issue is petting. Because when people are dating, people are courting, we need to ask the question, what is an appropriate level of intimacy before marriage? In Ephesians 5, verse 3, we're, we are told that there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity because these are improper for God's people uh, and for a Christian. So let's look at that one, Ephesians 5, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints. In other words, it should not even, uh, there should not be a hint of this. Um, the, the whole idea of petting is really a type of foreplay, which should be reserved for marriage because of the arousal that comes from that type of behavior. It really is designed to get one ready for sexual intimacy. And so if a person gets involved in that, it's hard to know where to stop. It's very, it uh, leads to very difficult situations and very strong temptations. And it should be restricted to married couples. You know, today among Christians, there's uh, quite, a, uh, quite a new practice, which I think is quite noble. I married a young couple uh, some years ago that had decided that they would never kiss until their wedding day. And they ended up having three weddings because uh, the husband was from South Africa or 
uh, one of the, the countries over there. I, th I think it was from South Africa. The wife was from Arkansas. And they were going to have three weddings. They, because of visa issues, they needed to have a wedding right away in Arkansas. And so we had a wedding in the home. I did the first wedding. And when it came time to pronounce the man and wife, I said, you may now not kiss your bride because they wanted to save that for the big church wedding. So they, they hugged each other. And then they later had a big church wedding in New York. And I think that's where they kissed. And then they had another wedding in Africa. They had three weddings. But I tell you what, the bond between those two is so precious. They reserved themselves totally for marriage. And one beautiful thing about that is sexual intimacy becomes so beautiful if it is reserved for the, for the union that God has created. Otherwise, it's cheapened, it's, um, uh, it's diminished in its significance, and it becomes uh, not only, uh, well, it becomes very sacred when you save it for that sacred institution and very beautiful as well. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? This is an issue that is being so um, heavily debated today. There seems to be, what, well, a new hermeneutic, which means a new method of interpreting Scripture. In fact, Scripture is, in the new hermeneutic, Scripture is being interpreted based upon current culture. Now, if you think about it, if Scripture is being interpreted based upon current culture, then what is the authority? The scripture or the culture? And when you start doing that, then how do you have any standards? The standards become so flexible. A standard is not a standard if it is so flexible. And the Bible is so clear about the homosexual issue. Um, one of the arguments that we keep coming up with, people say, well, what about gay monogamy? I mean, God surely could be okay if gays are monogamous, uh, one man and one man. Well, first of all, all of us that have been in that realm have never seen such a thing. I don't know that there is such a creature. <laughs> there may be, but when I say monogamy, uh, a gay monogamy, uh, that, that I have trouble believing it even exists is because... I don't know of gay people who reserve themselves for one and only person, save themselves uh, that first kiss for the wedding or anything like that. There's generally a lot of experimentation and then a settling into maybe one person. And that monogamy may last for a while, but, but homosexuality has now redefined monogamy. And if you can redefine a word, then... By what authority do you re redefine it? When we think of monogamy, we think about one person, I mean, two people together forever, and that's it. But in the, in the homosexual world, if they agree, if two people that are in a union agree to have extramarital relationships, they still call it monogamy. As long as they come home to each other and stay in that relationship, that loose relationship, it's still called monogamy. Uh, but the Bible, let's just look at a few texts of Scripture. 
In Leviticus 18.22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Wouldn't that cover monogamy? Well, let's look at the next one. Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man also lie with a man, or if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them, wouldn't that be monogamy? If it's both, that's two men. Both of them have committed an abomination. So from the, I mean, how clear can the Bible be? How much clearer can it be? Right there. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's monogamous because that same argument can use between a, a man and a child, pedophilia. All of the arguments that are used to support homosexuality today, if you apply it to another uh, perversion of what God created, the argument falls apart. But uh, God is very explicit in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. And then it lists neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, and on and on shall inherit the kingdom of God. And some people take that word effeminate and they think if you have mannerisms, you're not going to go to heaven. And that's not what it means. If you really research the word in the margin, another word is used called catamite. And if you look that up, a catamite is uh, generally is a, a young boy that takes the role of the female in a sexual relation with a man. Uh, in other words, uh, it's a person that takes the opposite role of his gender. And that could apply to the opposite role of her gender, right? Either way, it's, um, the principle is the same, that we're not to do that, uh, but fortunately, the next verse says, and such were some of you. And that was a pivotal text in my experience when I was shown that text. I didn't even realize it was in the Bible. And Paul is talking to the Greeks uh, of Corinth. And you know what the morality of Corinth, uh, of Greek, Greece had been. And he says, and he's talking to these new Christians, such were some of you. You used to be all of these things. But ye are sanctified, ye are justified, ye are cleansed. We're, you're different now. There's transformation. Uh, Romans 1, 26 and 27 teaches specifically that homosexuality is a result of denying and disobeying God. And today, it is so clear to people like us that to justify homosexuality, you have to deny the plain word of God. So there's a resting of the scriptures. Uh, there's a, a twisting and a uh, reinterpretation of scripture. Uh, and some of the gymnastics that are performed in that are so bizarre that it is just unbelievable. Uh, you know, suggesting that David and Jonathan were lovers because the love between them was greater than that for a woman. Well, our love for God is greater, should be, than that for a woman or one of the opposite gender. It just meant it was a different kind of love. And when Jonathan died, David lamented the loss of his brother, not his lover. But, but these types of things, there's even the suggestion that Jesus and John the Beloved were gay lovers. It, you know, the reasoning just gets so perverted and so uh, convoluted 
in these mental gymnastics to justify homosexuality. But the bottom line is they're denying the word of God to do that uh, in one way or another. God does not create a person with homosexual desires. Uh, the Bible tells us that people become homosexuals because of sin. We're of a fallen nature and because of sin. So, for example, when I was sexually molested at the age of four, a man sinned against me. And when I was emotionally abused by my father, who didn't understand me growing up, he sinned against me in his emotional and verbal abuse and so forth. And uh, homosexuality is something that is uh, conditioned behavior. One common thread that I have seen throughout the homosexual community is a perception of rejection. And people are desperately looking, especially in the world today, are especially looking for acceptance. And it's not just through homosexuality, but through, through sexual addiction, through drugs, through alcohol, through wild fashions and bizarre behavior, desperately looking to get attention. And in other words, people today will accept perverted attention rather than no attention at all. And that's the type of thing that we're looking at today. Um, people that are in homosexual behavior generally are trying to fulfill a void in their lives. But God can fill that void. Now, I'm just touching on some of these because I was given a list of things to touch upon. And there are so many, it's hard to cover them. And I hope I don't have to cover them all because some of them make me very squeamish. <laughs> but uh, we'll try. Does the Bible say anything about being a lesbian? Does it talk about lesbianism? Well, the word isn't used. In fact, the word homosexual is not used in the King James Bible. But people that are promoting it, they point that out. Homosexuality is not even mentioned in the Bible. And then they quote scripture from the NIV or some other translation. And if you go to almost all of the modern translations, the word homosexuality is in the, those translations. It's the King James Version that doesn't have the word. But it spells out the behavior. You can call it what you want. The behavior is spelled out. The same with many sin issues. There are many sins that are not named in the Bible. Uh, masturbation is not named in the Bible. Uh, lesbianism is not named in the Bible. Uh, pedophilia. I mean, the terms that we use today are not necessarily words that are in the Bible. But the principles are very clear. And um, so labels come and go. They change from generation to generation. But God never changes. And he, his expressed will makes it very clear how he feels about these various things. Um, some are under the assumption that while the Bible condemns gay sex between men... It nowhere condemns being a lesbian or lesbianism. Well, that would make God a little bit irrational, wouldn't it? Uh, to have that kind of thinking. But if you look at Romans 1, verses 26 and 27, uh, we read there that, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. That can speak to a variety of things. But notice it says, even their women. So it's not just the men. You get the point there? 
it talks about the men and their perversion, but then it goes on to say even the women did the same thing, changed the natural use into that which is against nature. There is an implication in Romans 1.26 that uh, when it says even their women, the implication is that that may even be worse than male homosexuality. Um, or maybe not even worse, but maybe more surprising. When it says even their women, like, you mean even women are doing this? You know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's worse. It just means that uh, it sounds like Paul was a little bit um, surprised that it was in both genders. Does the Bible say anything about bisexuality? Well, I think it does simply in Genesis when it says a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And this is an issue that, that I find maybe I'm wrong, but it's an issue that I feel very comfortable addressing. Because especially if people are Christian, and I talked to a young fellow yesterday who was telling me that he is bisexual. And I simply said, are you a Christian? Well, yes, I'm a Christian. I said, well, then it's simple. The Bible only allows you one, right? If you're bisexual, then it's just as easy for you to pick the one God approves of than the one that God condemns, the relationship, right? And he said, yes, I have chosen to starve that side. I said, good for you. Temptation is not sin. Being attracted is not a sin. Dwelling on that becomes lust. And you can bring every thought into captivity. We are given so many tools on how to deal with our thoughts and our temptations. And um, so if a person, well, I'll tell you, a lot of people say they're bisexual as a way to kind of... Uh, gloss over the fact that they're really homosexual. It's like, well, bisexual is a badge of honor. I can go either way. Well, uh, it's, it's almost like a, a macho thing or only, well, it's not macho, but it's like, I'm so, what, sexually oriented, I can, I can go either way. It's, it's used kind of like that, but also, I think in many cases, it is masking homosexuality because um, it seems to be less of a perversion if you can go either way. Well, frankly, to me, it reveals that a person is more of a sex addict than anything else, that, that he or she will be able to have sex with anyone just as though they can be fulfilled. But the, um, the plan that God laid out in the very beginning lets us know very clearly that, uh, that bisexuality is not condoned in the Bible and the fact uh, that the text that we use in Leviticus cover the same issue. What does, the, um, what does God uh, say about polygamy in the Bible? Now, this is interesting because... You don't see any condemnation for polygamy in the Old Testament or in the Bible specifically. We know it was not God's original plan, but he seemed to allow it for some reason. Um, 
God's original plan, though, of course, is for one man and for, for one woman to be married. Uh, the first instance of polygamy in the Bible was that of Lamech, who was of the seed of Cain. So we know that Cain had rejected God. Lamech, in Genesis 4.19, married two women. And then there were several prominent men in the Old Testament, patriarchs, who were polygamists. There was Abraham, Jacob, uh, then there was King David and King Solomon. I mean, Solomon, oh, that, that poor man. Um, how many wives, how many concubines? That man must have been in a perpetual state of confusion and conflict and challenge. I don't think he was the wisest man that ever lived until his old age, <laughs> when he came to his senses. Now, he was pretty wise in the beginning, but he... He deviated from that path. But we do see that there were numbers of people, godly people, that were involved in polygamy. So God uh, doesn't say specifically, the Bible does not specifically say why God allowed polygamy. There are many theories on that, and I'm going to leave that for the, the handout. There's uh, several paragraphs about that. But... Um, How does God view polygamy today? Even while allowing polygamy, the Bible presents monogamy as the plan which conforms most closely to God's ideal for marriage. Why, uh, why would polygamy be an issue today? There's this effort to redefine marriage and uh, through the homosexual agenda, and we, heard, we know from very outspoken gay activists that their design on marriage is not just to get the legal right to marriage, it's to destroy the institution of marriage altogether. We have those quotes and we have uh, documentation from several very prominent uh, gay activists that um, their design is to destroy marriage because their plan is that marriage will be whatever I want it to be. For example, Masha Gessen, who's a very outspoken lesbian, political activist. She's involved with, I think, two other women. There may be two men involved, and there are several children. And she says that we lie when we talk about what we want in gay marriage. I mean, you can go to YouTube and look up Masha Gessen, and it's there. It's all over the place. They're so emboldened now in their agenda that they are openly talking about it. That was not our plan. Our plan is to do away with the institution of marriage altogether. Now, you think about it. God is the one who gave us the definition of marriage, right? He's the authority. If we are going to redefine it or ignore God's authority so that we can change it, by what authority do we give it another definition? See, if you don't accept God's definition, then there is no definition. Why do I say that? Because these, uh, these people that are trying so hard... Um, they're opening the doors for others. If you can define marriage as between two men or two women, then the polygamist comes along, and I'll tell you, immediately that's what's happening. The polygamists in, in this country are saying, well, what about us? At least it's heterosexual, and they did it in the Bible. Abraham did it, Jacob did it, you know, and so forth. So there's already an effort to legalize polygamy. Well, it's not legalized. However, in the gay community, 
uh, recently in the news, there are three lesbians that have married. Three women. So polygamy is okay within homosexuality, but not within heterosexuality. Isn't that something? Um, this uh, also paves the way. There's now an effort for um, legalizing pedophilia. See, once you do away with the definition, who is going to be the authority to redefine it? Marriage. God has put a protective hedge around his people and, and around the institution of marriage. If we uproot that fence, then who says where that fence goes back down? There's no authority. So by redefining marriage, just by nature of claiming the right to redefine it, we do away with it altogether. Uh, and so in uh, the issue of polygamy... In the New Testament, we're told uh, about the elders and the deacons. They're to be husbands of one wife. Uh, and there are many texts of Scripture that lead us to understand that uh, polygamy is not God's plan even today. But something that has now come out of all of this is a new phenomenon. In fact, I never even heard of this word until a month or two ago. And it is called polyamory. And so that is having multiple partners, but outside of marriage. In fact, there's a new reality show on Showtime. Maybe I shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> but, you know, there are reality shows about sister wives, which is polygamous. And now there's a new reality show on Showtime called Polyamory. And it's about rejecting monogamy and loving more than one. And so I've seen the trailers. Uh, uh, Michael sent me some YouTube trailers of this program, this new program. And you have every combination you can imagine. You have one man with two women. You have one woman with two men. You have two couples. Uh, you have three or four couples. And they move in together and they just swap all around. And uh, it's just total confusion. And this seems to be a new trend. I mean, it is becoming so popular that it, they now have a reality TV show promoting polyamory. And this, see, has nothing to do with marriage. See, they're already moving beyond that. The goal is to destroy the institution of marriage anyway. So they don't need a license. It's just free sexual intimacy with uh, anyone as long as the parties agree but I'll tell you what, you look at some of those trailers and the confusion and the controversy, I wouldn't want to put up with that for a minute because now there's jealousy. You're spending more time with her than you are with me. And, and, uh, and you wake up in the morning and the one that was sleeping with you is now in the bed with somebody else. And it's just total confusion. But um, this is something that is becoming... The new, uh, the, the new rage, I guess. Uh, so, in other words, marriage does not exist in those, um, those circles. Again, in your handout, you will see a number of texts of Scripture that, that uh, help with that issue. And as Christians, I think a lot of this is a little redundant. Because if we accept marriage between one man and one woman, then all of these things look like they're out of the norm, Right? But yet, this is what we're dealing with today. And in the Christian church, it has become so common 
for, for young people or people that are wanting to get married to live together before marriage. Uh, as pastors, uh, you know, those of us who are pastors, we come across this a lot. And we have to, we have to interrupt these relationships and, you know, before baptism and so forth, because it's very, very common. Um, the next issue that I was given to address is this one. What does the Bible say about cross-dressing and transvestitism? You might recognize one of these characters. And I know the movie Tootsie was a big hit. Everyone thought that Dustin Hoffman was so cute as a woman. I don't see it. Uh, it's interesting, but anyway, what does the Bible say about cross-dressing? You know, that's listed as one of the abominations in the Bible. And... Um, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. In, in my first book, uh, one of the chapters, uh, one of the chapters, or one of the paragraphs, I listed all of the abominations in the Bible. I put them all together. And I was surprised when I did that because I realized that homosexuality is just a sin issue like adultery or pride or lying or cross-dressing. <laughs> Um, in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord. The Bible is very clear. We're not to do that for the purpose of trying to fit in with the opposite gender. In this graphic that you see here, of course, Dustin Hoffman on the left is a man dressed as a woman, the one on the right is a, a young lady that is really going after male fashions. Now, here's another interesting one. A woman who cuts her hair to appear as a man or a man who wears his hair long to appear as a woman brings shame uh, and that's in 1 Corinthians 11, 3 to 5. Does anyone recognize the man on the left? That's Angelina Jolie. That's Angelina Jolie in a role as a man. Yes, absolutely. Uh, does anyone recognize the one on the right? No, I don't either. But the point is... <laughs> The point is that is obviously not a woman. It is a man who is desperately wishing he were. And it's, it's really um, a sad situation. What does the Bible say about bestiality? And it's also listed very much as um, abomination. If you read in Leviticus and uh, various Exodus twenty two nineteen. Uh, anyone involved in that who was actually to be stoned. But I mean, there are all kinds of um, sins that were to be met with destruction, uh, execution. Exodus 22, 19, uh, Leviticus 18, 23, and Leviticus 20, verses 15 to 16. And I'm just going to touch on that because time is running out and I want to get to a conclusion. But what does the Bible say about pornography? 
by far the most searched for terms on the internet are related to pornography. Uh, it is rampant today. And um, we know that, the, that pornography is very addictive. You know, there are others that are going to address this issue this week. And so I'm, I'm not going to spend time on that because I want to uh, wrap this up with a good conclusion. But we know whatsoever things are pure, right? We know the text in Philippians uh, think on these things. But for those who are involved in pornography, we know God can and will give the victory. You will hear some testimonies of that this week. Uh, the next one uh, that is a very common issue is masturbation. Uh, I was at a seminar where this was being actually condoned by a Seventh-day Adventist seminar presenter. And I raised my hand and, and asked about that. And I questioned the legitimacy of that. And we were told, well, Dr. Jocelyn Elders, who was the Surgeon General at the time under Clinton, had uh, declared masturbation to be just normal human behavior. So therefore, we accept that. And I said, wait a minute. Normal, I went home and wrote a sermon, normal human behavior. Normal human behavior is fallen. It's sinful. It's corrupt. Just because it's normal doesn't mean it is right. Uh, when... Uh, when a person is involved in that, it is that the guilt that is associated with that is just the guilt itself is revealing that it is not uh, biblical. And yet there is more material in the handout. We, um, a couple other issues that I was asked to talk about are oral sex, and I'm glad I'm out of time. <laughs> but notice... Anyone recognize this fellow who has cancer, throat cancer, uh, mouth cancer? He admits that he got cancer from oral sex, and he admits that to warn millions about the uh, papilloma virus. What does the Bible say about this one in sodomy? Well, uh, Romans 1.26 uh, God gave them up to vile affections. Uh, women changed their use of the natural into the unnatural against nature. We might do well to reason that anal sex is changing the natural use into that which is against nature, a perversion of what God has created. And medically speaking, anal sex is very dangerous. Uh, the graphics that you come across if you're looking this up of the disease, the cancer, are just absolutely horrible. Also, uh, the last issue I was asked to talk about was bondage, discipline, sadism, and masochism. Uh, there is, are definitely dark aspects to this in which a Christian should have no part. The need to dominate or, and or be dominated in a relationship may reveal a psyche in need of being redeemed by God through Jesus Christ. But you know, if the Son, we are told, therefore shall make you free you shall be free indeed. You know, I used to be a pilot, a private pilot, and I like to use this illustration to close, that um, our journey along the narrow way can be likened to flying a plane, charting a course from one destination to another. And if you're charting a course from one destination to another, you can be off by five degrees, 
or 185 degrees, it doesn't matter, you will miss the landing field. And Satan doesn't care how far off the mark you are. That's why today there are a myriad of perversions of what God planned originally. And people are being thrown off track in all different ways. But we are told this is the way. Walk ye in it when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. Uh, friends, we need to just realize God is love. And everything that he has created is out of love. Everything that he commands, everything that he warns, everything that he rebukes, all of that is out of love for us, his children whom he has created. And so I just wish all of you happy landings as you chart your course. May it be right on track and the Holy Spirit will lead you. But with every one of us, it requires change. I have flown in violent storms, tailwinds, headwinds, crosswinds, but I never let the wind determine my orientation. Don't let the winds of Satan determine your orientation. Let the Holy Spirit guide you this way, that way, to the right, to the left, and you will have safe landing. God bless you. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross in phoenix arizona gyc a supporting ministry of the seventh day adventist church seeks to inspire young people to be bible-based christ-centered and soul-winning christians to download or purchase other resources like this visit us online at www.gycweb.org